update them every week. Click on the pictures on Hungty Girl. They're, um, they'll appear differently depending on whether you're on a laptop, PC, or your um, mobile device. You'll get the most videos if you um, use your um, a PC or a laptop. But there'll be videos there for you either way. You can um, get a membership, a subscription, make a donation. I appreciate the contribution. Or just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. Um, I'm still adjusting to her learning how to use this um, this um, picture within a picture or whatever it is, but hopefully it works out for you. You can see here what we do here um, is go over the spiritual side of me, and it's um, checking out the Gospels of Jesus Christ chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Because um, as always, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you should let Jesus have the last word on any given subject, particularly if he went through the trouble of uh, bringing us that word and covering it for us before his suffering. So anyway, that's what we, what we do here with The Naked Truth. You can check out the other one, other pages of The Naked Truth, um, past readings, um, and Living Order Chapel pages there on my site to get an idea of, um, a better idea of some of the messages that I've been able to understand what Jesus had to say to us about different things. But anyway, we're going to pick up where we left off at the, in the book of John. We went over chapter five, where um, Jesus was um, basically saying that if you're going to honor God, the father, you can only do that if you're also honoring God, the son, uh, that'd be Jesus. And if you don't honor Jesus, then you're not honoring God, the father either. Uh, that's what happened in John chapter 5, among other things. And he basically gave us um, a description of different forms of witnesses that um, testified that he was coming from the prophecies before in the Old Testament to John the Baptist to the works that he's even doing and even God himself being a witness that Jesus is the Savior to Christ that was prophesied of in the Old Testament. So um, that's what we went over in John chapter 5. If you want, you can grab your Bible and read along with me or read it here um, um, uh, in John chapter 6. And we're going to begin at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus is about to perform a miracle. If you've heard the fishes, the fish and the loaves, this is what it's referring to when Jesus uh, performed that miracle. Um, but he's sort of... Um, not testing the disciples, but just feeling them out, asking them, what is it? What do you think we should do when he already knew what he was going to do? Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish 
as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said his disciples gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So basically Jesus was able to take what they had on hand, the loaves and fish, and multiply them, make them enough for everyone to feed the multitude. And the lesson there, I believe, is Jesus gives us Christians the gospel, the message, and he expects us to carry that forward and feed the multitudes to share that with the world. Um, partly it's what I, I'm trying to do here um, by doing these readings um, is to carry the message forward, even though like no one sees this, but um, still have to do it. That's what he tells us to do. We're supposed to share it, whether people will hear it or not. And um, he's telling them to gather up the fragments that remain. So one of the things that some preachers will preach is that the fragments are dangerous and it's leftovers from what people have to contribute. It's not that at all. The fragments are left over from what Jesus provided. And again, other preachers will say that um, Jesus didn't do the feeding, the disciples did. That's not true either. If Jesus weren't there to multiply it and perform miracles, the disciples wouldn't have anything to feed them. And um, actually, the disciples are acting as waiters, if anything, and Jesus is providing the food. They're just handing it out. Similarly, Jesus is providing the message, the gospel, the feeding, the food, the bread that we're supposed to feed on as Christians. And we're, as waiters, waitresses, are supposed to pass it out and share it. That's our role as the disciples. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, "True, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So the people were believing that Jesus had a divine presence, and part of it was based on, oh, excuse me, the fact that they were able to um, be fed. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. So one of the things to notice there, I think, is that um, we're supposed to follow the example that Jesus sets. And one of the things Jesus often does is withdraw himself from the multitude, even from his disciples, and uh, focus on uh, commuting with God. And I think that's the message that we're supposed to do. There are times when we're supposed to uh, fellowship with other Christians. We're also obviously supposed to fellowship with non-believers because how else, who else are you going to spread the word to if it's, if it's not people who don't already know and non-believers? But we're also supposed to separate ourselves sometimes and um, communicate only with God and let that be our um, focus. Um, so that's what Jesus did. He separated himself from them. And as soon as he did, you notice that they ran into storms. And I think that's also uh, another layer to his message that storms of life will come along when, um, when um, we don't feel like Jesus is right there with us. But, um, well, let's keep reading. Um, and got into the boat and went over. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So they ran into a storm. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. So if you ever heard the saying that somebody, people, somebody is held in such high esteem that people think they walk on water, 
that's where it's coming from. The fact that Jesus walked on the water here um, and that he, his goodness. So there, it's a contrast people, uh, it's a comparison people will draw with each other saying, oh, he's so good, he walks on water. He can't do any wrong. Um, no one is really like that except Jesus. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So Jesus saw they were in trouble and came to them. And I think that's the, uh, again, that's the layer of the message. Oh, excuse me. Trying to figure out this software and this um, Zoom and Twitch and all of this at the same time, it's exhausting. But um, So forgive me. But uh, so I think that's the message there that even though um, the disciples ran into a storm, ran into trouble when Jesus wasn't physically there with them, Jesus still could see what's going on with them and come to the rescue. And that's the thing we hope for as Christians now, even though we don't have Jesus's physical presence with us um, when things come up or at all, but we have his spirit with us and we have his teachings with us. And that those things are what it is that we are, have to lean on for our comfort and, and, and deliverances. And the message he came to them when he, when he message he brought when he came to them was don't be afraid. Um, so then the boat, then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who are standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which, G, which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got in the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So it lets you know the people are um, dedicated to finding out where Jesus is, Jesus is and getting some help from him and pursuing him, which is, I think, another message for us is that uh, we're supposed to pursue Jesus. We're supposed to pursue what it is his will, what his will is for us in life and pursue it just just like the people did here in this example. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Rabbi basically just means teacher. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So that's why I named this message, this reading, Motives. Their motivation isn't necessarily the um, spiritual growth or uh, getting closer to the kingdom, it's to get fed again. And that's what Jesus is telling them there is that they got the wrong motives. They got the wrong motivation. Their heart isn't in the right place. They're seeking food. They're looking for something to eat. When he's got bigger things going on, he's able to feed them spiritually. He's saying, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to, etern to, everlast to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So Jesus is saying that's the food they should be seeking. That's the food we should be seeking. That, of course, we know we have to eat. Otherwise, you can't live. But he's saying that's not the food you should be searching for when it comes to pursuing Jesus. It's the food that leads to life everlasting that Jesus, can, that Jesus provides if we're willing to take it and eat of it. And he's saying that that's the mission that God sent him on to bring us, his words. Again, why we have to focus on the red letters of the Bible, because there's not many of them. So that should make it even easier to try to live by, because it's not like 
there's loads and loads and books and books of doctrine and dogma that you're going to have to try to follow. Jesus laid it out in basically the four books of the gospel. And that's, that's what we should be looking to as our guide as Christians. Then they said to him, what should we do that we may work the works of God? So this is basically asking, what's God's will for us to do? And it's only like three places as far as Christians where Jesus mentions what God's will is for us to do and what his work is for us to do. And two of them mention this chapter. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Very simple. And again, that reemphasizes the fact of red letter group. Uh, it reemphasizes the importance of red letter Christianity that you have to focus on what it is Jesus has to say. Because he's telling us very clearly, if you want to do what God's work is, it's to believe in Jesus, the one whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform in that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So even though Jesus just performed signs for them, they just saw it. They just ate of the loaves. Thousands and thousands of people didn't have anything to eat. There weren't any refrigerators. There weren't any electric or gas stoves, and yet Jesus was able to produce enough food to feed them all, and yet just that quickly, human nature, they don't even remember that. They're wondering what sign is he going to show them, and it's, it's almost, it seems insulting. It's like you're following him around, and you know he's able to do these things, even following him on foot, but you're still asking for signs, but I guess that, again, that's human nature, and they're pointing back when they say their fathers ate manna, that's in the Old Testament if you want to read about it. After they, the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Africa, they, um, one of the signs that they received along the way as they were exiting, and it's in Exodus if you want to read about it, is that they were hungry and they began to complain against God and wonder, well, what did you bring us out of Egypt for if you're going to let them starve in the desert? So, Jesus, so God actually provided them, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, bread from heaven in the sense of, and it's called manna, and it just translates to what's that? Because they didn't know what it was, but um, it was what they ate for those 40 years while they wandered in the desert, uh, in the wilderness, trying to find their way to what we now call the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine, whatever you want to call it, right there between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. Um, along the way, that's what they had to eat. Um, so um, they're asking, similarly, they were like, well, God gave our forefathers that kind of bread. What kind of sign are you going to do? Kind of sassy. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So um, that could have a dual meaning there, letting us know that what the people received in the Old Testament wasn't actually bread from heaven. Um, it could have been some, it had to be something else. Jesus is saying very clearly that uh, that's not, well, that's not the real bread from heaven. But he's saying, um, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's saying the real bread from heaven that's really going to feed you and sustain you and nourish you is what God sent. But being Jesus, the Savior, that that's what's going to give us life. That's what we're going to have to feed on. And again, if you're going to be a, call yourself a Christian, it's his words, Christ's words that you have to feed on and live by. Then they said to them, Lord, give us this bread always. So you see there, they're focusing on the physical. They're still thinking about bread that you eat. They're not actually thinking about 
spiritual sustenance and being fed that way. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So um, Jesus is letting us know that for our nutrition, as far as um, a, a spiritual health and well-being, Jesus is that bread. Jesus is what we're going to have to feed on. And Jesus is what we should, who we should look to for that nourishment. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So um, Jesus is recognizing that they have their doubts. And it's clear because they just saw him perform the sign with the fish and loaves. And yet they're asking for a sign. And he's telling them, I know that you don't believe in me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. So Jesus is letting us know there that no matter where, where you are in life or how other people may judge you or see you, transgender people, again, can probably relate to this better than most um, because people judge us by how they think we are, by how we look or our appearance or whatever it is, how they knew us before. Uh, that's what a lot of people will judge us by. Jesus is letting us know no matter how other people see you, he'll accept whoever comes to him. It's whosoever will, as the saying goes, that um, he won't cast you out, that whoever you are, however you are, come to Jesus and he'll accept you and won't be cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is letting us know that his mission wasn't something he cooked up for himself, that he's only doing what God would have him do, and that that's what his job was, why he was here to perform God's will. This is the will of the Father who sent me. And this is the second place where you get to figure out what it is, God, what God's work is, what God's will for us is. This is the second place in this chapter where he'll talk about it, uh, what God's will is. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing to raise it up at the last day. So um, God's will clearly is that we're saved, that our souls are saved. That's our soul salvation is what God's will is and not that we're lost. And um, Jesus says it very plainly, that's what God's will is for us, that we aren't lost. Although, you know, a lot of people don't accept it. For I've come down from heaven. Oh, this is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he's given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So that, lets, that addresses both those who saw Jesus physically when he walked the earth, but also us who don't see him and yet believe that God's will is that we're all saved. And unfortunately, not everyone will accept that. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. So uh, they're thinking in a physical sense, and they're wondering, well, who do you think you are, basically? Um, wondering, how is it you're saying you came down from heaven? And they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? So again, transgender people can relate to this. No matter what, how you change yourself or how um, you transition or no matter what you become. And then other people can relate to this too um, because you may start out in one place in life and then through education or opportunity or whatever, change yourself, 
ex-cons can relate to this. No matter how you may change yourself and change your life and reform, people are still going to look at you how you were before and tend to judge you on that. And it, a lot of them will call themselves Christians who do it. Um, but Jesus is letting us know. Uh, well, the people there are doing that to Jesus. They're saying, well, we know who you are. We know you're Joseph's son. So how is it you think you came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. So Jesus knows they're being sassy and he's telling them, um, don't sit up and wonder these things about yourself, wonder these things to yourselves and gossip about it. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is making it clear to us there that although he's sent spreading the message worldwide and that's our job also as Christians, as followers, as believers, to spread the word and bring it, um, whosoever will to God, um, that nobody's actually going to go to follow Jesus unless God chose for them, chose for us to um, pursue him. Sort of like I've said before, I think that uh, we have free will to take this road or that road, the right way or the wrong way. That's where our free will comes in. But I think in the big picture of it all, God already has it determined and knows which way we're going to go. And, um, but he still presents us with a choice and he knows which choices we're going to make in the big picture of things. And in that sense, like Jesus just said, no one's going to come to Jesus unless the Father God chooses to have it be that way. So I think in that sense, things are already predetermined and in, in, in that almost as if, like I've said before, it's a play that uh, God is putting on or um, a script that God is already um decided on or written out or picture God has already painted. And I mentioned this before that other, other religions believe or other beliefs, other people believe that there's um, an Akashic rest record, I think is what it's called, where everything in time is already laid out. And some people, prophets, seers have the vision, the ability to tap into that, um, a sixth sense to be able to tap into that and see the paths that people are going to take and be able to look ahead prophetically like that and know it. Um, so um, that's like another person, another group of people that believe similarly that it's already laid out what paths we're going to take. And Jesus is saying the same thing here, that no one's going to come to Jesus unless God is already determined for it to be that way. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So when he says they shall all be taught by God, he's referring back to the Old Testament. Let me see if I see where it talks about that. Um, I don't see it in my Bible right offhand, but it is referring to an Old Testament um, um, passage where um, if the God in the Old Testament says that uh, you won't need to find, go to your brother and say, oh, no, God, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. Instead, they'll all be taught by God. And that's being fulfilled in their presence right then because God's walking with them and teaching them what it is they need to know, though they won't necessarily accept it. And it's been passed down for us to know it too, though many of us won't accept it. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Um, so again, Jesus is saying, 
that if you paid attention to what God had to say, and if you paid attention to the Old Testament and let that be your way that leads you to Jesus, or if you've um, heard Jesus' preaching yours, um, yourself without knowing the Old Testament at all, and let that be what leads you to Jesus, Jesus is saying both ways, either way, you're only going to come to Jesus if God chose to have you um, approach and believe. And not that anyone has seen the Father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. So this lets you know also, I feel like that um, regardless of what, because in the Old Testament, it says different people saw God at different points. Um, in one place, it says that they, they um, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he's described as the Ancient of Days. In another place, um, Moses is, walks with God, and he doesn't actually see his face, but sees his form. Here, Jesus is making it clear that no one has seen God at any time. And so um, that should, again, it should call, it may be tough for you to accept or may not want to believe it, but you can still try and make sense of the Old Testament, believing that those people saw God at different points, because those aren't the only places where people are, well, Abraham, for instance, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is said to have God walked up on him and he cooked the meal for God or had his wife cook the meal for God. And again, Jesus is saying here, no one has seen God at any time except he who is from God. That would be Jesus. He has seen the Father. So that lets you know that even though there are, are divine stories in the Old Testament that have been passed down, and even though the people here that are confronting Jesus and constantly are in his face about different things that conflict with the Old Testament, those clearly must not have been from God. It may have been some divine presence, or uh, maybe even an evil presence, it may have, the things could have still happened, but Jesus is saying that those weren't God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So Jesus is saying through him, through Christ, our faith in Christ, that's the way to life everlasting, to heaven. I'm the bread of life. And so he reemphasizes re there that the bread that's going to give us life is Jesus, his teachings, his word his gift of the crucifixion or resurrection, his life and his teachings, that's what actually leads to life. If you're a believer, if you're willing to believe it, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. So um, he's letting them know, yeah, they ate that bread in the Old Testament. That's where it happened. Um, and, but he's letting them know they're dead. That didn't, that didn't give them life everlasting. That was bread that fed them while they walked on the earth. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So Jesus is making it clear there's a difference in the bread that he's trying to give than the bread that their forefathers ate um, to make it through their trials in the wilderness. And that his bread um, lets you pass from death into life. And he's, he re-emphasized re that in chapter 5 also. I'm the living bread, which came, oh, I think I skipped one. Um, oh, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Jesus is letting us know there that um, not that we're going to be eating his flesh, but that he's going to give up his flesh, in, meaning in the crucifixion, and lay down his life so that we could have life everlasting. 
if we're willing to believe it and accept it, basically eat of it. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're thinking in a cannibalistic sense, like it doesn't, why is he telling us we need to eat him? That, and you know, they're probably disgusted by it thinking he must be crazy. Then Jesus said that most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So now, of course, that would probably make most people freak out, thinking, well, he wants us to eat his body and drink his blood, and that's the way to get to heaven. But it, it's been passed down now where we use the communion um, um, ceremony to represent eating Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood when we eat the bread and drink the wine um, to represent eating and drinking um, Christ. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So Jesus is letting us know there that if you want life everlasting, it's only through him. It's only through eating his flesh and drinking his blood, I think, meaning taking in his word and accepting it and living it. And that that's how we're going to... Um, uh, get to the life everlasting, not just uh, even not just eating the communion bread and drinking that wine and thinking that that's going to get you in heaven. That's not, I don't think that's what he's referring to. For one, that's not what he says. We just do that symbolically to represent our faith in it. But for two, he's saying very clearly there that it's um, the work of God. The work of God is that you believe in him whom he sent. So I think that when he says eating his flesh and drinking his blood, He's saying taking in his message and letting that nourish us and be our, um, our, um, our meal, as it were. And in that way, we'll abide with him, we'll be one with him. That's how we join with the divine, by focusing on what it is he'd have us say, since that was his mission to bring us. As the living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, he's saying, Feed on what it is Jesus had to say. Focus on what it is God had to say to us through Jesus. And that that's the way to get to the Father. That's the way to get to life everlasting. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus, again, is emphasizing that don't focus on the Old Testament, what you think and believe there. Don't focus on that at all. Focus on what it is Jesus came to bring us, the message he came to bring us, his words. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And it is, it's kind of, um, it's a lot of symbol symbolism. So it's kind of, it may be, it's obviously, it's difficult to think of eating someone and drinking their blood and thinking that's going to get you into heaven. But he's not talking about physically eating his flesh or drinking his blood. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? So he knows that what's going on. He know, hears their murmurings. He recognizes that they don't believe in their doubts. And he's asking them, well, uh, is this turning you away from me, basically? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? So he's asking them a, a rhetorical question. He's like, well, what if you see me go back up to heaven? Well, is that going to make you believe then that you're going to have everlasting life? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 
So this lets us know, I think, a very deep message that no matter what you do to your body, whether it's tattooing it, whether it's piercing it, whether it's circumcising it, that none of those things are going to profit your spirit. All of those are just things you're going to do to your flesh, that it's the spirit, it's God, God's Holy Spirit, that actually leads us to everlasting life. Um, so no matter what you do to your body, that that's not what's going to get you into heaven. But it's his words, like you said, it's his words that are spirit and they are life, and that it's his words that leads us to that everlasting life. Again, to focus on red letter, if you're going to be a Christian, focus on the red letters, focus on what Jesus had to say. Because otherwise, again, you're going to run into contradictions throughout the Bible of what other people had to say that don't align with what he had to say. But he's the only one who came and gave his life through that suffering and crucifixion and resurrection and still being faced with doubts um, for us. That it was only him. But there are some of you who do not believe. So Jesus is letting them know that uh, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who would betray him. So even from the beginning, even though Jesus knows that some of them aren't gonna believe even among his disciples and who's gonna betray him even among the disciples and not just Judas because Peter also betrayed him three times in the night before he was crucified. Thomas doubted him even after he was resurrected. And like I said, Judas betrayed him even to the crucifixion. So, but Jesus knew all these things and it didn't stop his mission. He went on ahead and faced it. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. So again, Jesus is reemphasizing that though um, the message is for everyone and though he casts a wide net and even sends us out to go out and catch men, fish for men, uh, to, to spread the word basically, None of, nobody's going to actually believe. Nobody's going to be led to believe unless God the Father already decided for that to be so, already predetermined. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? So um, Jesus recognizes that many of them are falling away. Just like now, people don't believe. Many people aren't even focused on God anymore. Um, um, and Jesus knows it, and it doesn't stop him from spreading the message. And I can attest to that myself. I, nobody watches these, um, very few people, a handful of people have even watched any of these uploads. And yet you're supposed to still spread it out there. You're supposed to still put it out there. You're supposed to still share it because that's our mission as Christians. Similarly, Jesus knows that the, even some of his own disciples are going to betray him um fall away from him he sees them walking away from him right there as he's giving the message but he can't let that detour him he knows that what his mission is and what that then that mission is to go ahead and preach it anyway um whether they accept it or not um so he's telling them y'all want to go away too he says that to the disciples who are following with him but simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life also, we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So um, even though Peter says this now, he's still going to betray, deny him three times before the crucifixion, even though Jesus even predicted he was going to do that. Um, and even still after that, still going to doubt that he resurrected them until they actually see it himself, see him themselves. So that I think that serves for us to help reaffirm our faith that when we have our doubts and don't necessarily know how um, 
the things we're going through are going to turn out and what's the purpose in the things we're doing to uh, let us know that even though we have our doubts, so did the disciples and they saw the miracles. They walked with them and experienced it. And even then they still had their doubts. So don't beat yourself, beat ourselves up too much when we have our doubts and, and don't have Jesus here physically with us to help us along the way in our faith. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you to 12 and one of you is a devil? So um, it, again, this is sort of like predetermination, who's going to be saved and who's going to follow him. And um, Jesus, even knowing before he chose them, that one of them would betray him and that one of them, he says, even is a devil. So um, it's pretty harsh, but it lets you know that even though Jesus knew that, he still didn't cast him out. He still had him follow along. And that goes to the love your enemies um, preaching that Jesus gave before and those who spitefully use and persecute you. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that Thomas was going to doubt him. He knew all those things, but he didn't cast them out as disciples. He didn't turn them away. He still let them follow right along with him to fulfill the big picture idea of what it is God had in mind and his plot and his grand scheme of things and didn't fight against it, but went along with it um, as his mission. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. So um, again, that's not red letters. That's what the, um, uh, the person who um, wrote this gospel says that he meant as far as the one who was the devil and who would betray him. But again, Judas wasn't alone in his um, betrayal of Jesus. So was Simon Peter. So did... Um, so did Thomas as far as doubting him, even after all of his suffering. Um, but at any rate, the writer there is saying that he's talking about Judas as the one who was the devil with him. But, and truly, uh, it says, as you read on, that the devil entered him just before the crucifixion. But it was also the devil who Jesus actually rebuked when Peter denied that the crucifixion was ever going to happen. We went over that in a recent reading. You can look back on him if you want. Um, from before. Um, so Jesus was going on his mission regardless of who it is who's going to believe and who it is who's going to betray him and who it is who's going to deny him. He still had a mission to perform and he did it. And that actually ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me and um, bearing with me through figuring out how these um, different software programs work with screen and screen and all of that. Um, and I hope you'll join me again, God willing, um, Saturday night after midnight, we'll um, pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation. And we have our Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those gospels and God willing, next Wednesday, John and Luke, those gospels. So in the meantime, take care of yourself, be careful, wear a mask, because even though people are bored with the coronavirus and you got your president pretending that things are normal, even though uh, he wants you to sign a waiver before you go to the rallies this weekend, that should be a clue to you that it's not a hoax. If it were a hoax, you wouldn't need to sign a waiver in case you get sick. So use your head, wash your hands, be safe, and be good to each other. God bless you, and thanks again for reading along with me. Peace.